once again, uh, dear brethren and church family, this evening we begin a new Bible study series on the evils of feminism. On the evils of feminism. And as the title suggests, there are many, many evils which are born out of the feministic movement, of the feminism movement. Um, As a culture and as a society, we are so far down the road of feminism that really it has affected all of us in our day-to-day lives. it's, It's affected our families. It's affected how we are viewed in, 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 in marriage. It's affected our churches. It's affected, our, it's, it's affected everything. We have been completely desensitized by the feministic ideology in our culture. The feminist movement really is not just about women's rights as it started off with. It is an anti-family movement. It is also a, I would advocate, an anti-life movement as well. And I believe it is an anti-church movement and an anti-authority movement. And therefore, I believe it is an anti-Christ movement. It is, I believe, it is demonic. And so the purpose of, of this evening's Bible study really is to give us an overview of Feminism from a, a biblical and a, and a Christian perspective. Our next studies in the series of feminism and, and the evils thereof will start looking at the particulars of feminism, the, the real, the really the things which they've attacked uh, in terms of the family and, and the church and, and godly and godly living and the design really which which God has for men and women and for families and churches. God's design and how that's distorted God's design, especially in our culture here today. And so let us first begin by looking at where we Christians, of course, get our authority from. And that, of course, is from the Word of God. Let us remember that, that that is the place where we get our authority as Christians from. We don't get it, sadly, sadly, we don't get it, as many will say, from reason and from what that Christian might have done a number of years ago, or from what that person said a number of years ago. I've heard that there's so many times, well, this person does this, and that person does that, and that means we should be doing this. Our authority comes straight from the word of the living God. And so with that in mind, it says... In 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of, of man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. What the Apostle is not saying here, is he's not saying that a woman is of, of less value than a man. They are both of the same value, equal value in the sight of God. Their souls are precious in in the sight of God. What the the Lord is saying here, uh, through the Apostle, is that the woman was created for a particular purpose, to support, to be a help, meet 
for the man, for her desire to be for her husband and for her family and for a, and for a, a man to really have the, the godly leadership and responsibility and seriousness and loving support of his wife. And if we can imagine uh, the picture of a family, we, we can look no further to, to, to the Trinity itself, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son willingly submits to the, to the Father, and the Father loves and, and glorifies the Son, doesn't it? And we know that the, the, our, our God... Uh, three in one are the same in essence. They are the same in power, but they are not the same in role, are they? They are not the same in function. They have different, there's different roles in the Godhead, as I've said. And, and that is the same within any marriage. There is a unity in the Godhead, and there should be a unity in a marriage and roles within a marriage along with godly distinctions and it, one should never act uh, apart from the other one should never detach themselves from, from the other and say well I, I, I want to do this with my life or this with my life because that's really to detach like, it's like Christ detaching himself from the Father and the Holy Spirit there is a unity there. There is a, there is a beauty and a holiness there, which, which of course, the, 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 the Trinity, the Godhead, and the Church of Jesus Christ portray. Indeed, it says in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Why? Because it's done as unto the Lord. The Lord wants wives to submit unto their husbands. And the husband, says, for the husband is the head of the wife. This is biblical headship. Even as Christ is the head of the church, that's husband's example, and, and he is the saviour of the body. It is men's responsibility to lead, to lead their wives, and to lovingly, if necessary, give their life for, the, for their wife. It's a loving headship, it's a loving authority here. And the bride of Christ, the church, willingly submits uh, to Christ. And so there is a godly order here, isn't there? there? There is godly roles here which are conducive to God's blessing. Now, dear friends, for the past 150 years, feminists have sought to convince women and men, that they, and women in particular, that they need to be like men, that they can do everything that a man can do, and there needs to be a role reversal. I was going to say rehearsal, but it's a reversal, and uh, and that is the prevailing spirit of our age, isn't it, dear friends? And it's it's shocking, really, how down this path of feminism we we have become. 
Men and women are not the same, dear friends. They are distinct from one another. It says in Genesis 5 to male and female created he them. He created them differently, distinctly, with purposes in, in marriage, in the family, in the church of Jesus Christ, and in society. The feminist movement, even from its very beginning, has sought to overthrow an entire biblical and cultural system of male leadership and the protection of women, to be responsible for women. Uh, and really, the feminist movement from the beginning has, in the name of equality and women's rights, really sought to completely overthrow this biblical headship. Now remember, we Christians are all for equality uh, in terms of being of equal value. Like I said, God sees us as equal and we should treat all people as equal. Lovingly, we are to love, aren't we? And to treat people with dignity. But we are not equal in terms of our God-given roles. It's not loving, is it, to compromise so much in this respect. It's not being loving to our neighbours, uh, to depart from the old paths of what the Lord has so clearly, uh, through principles and through the scriptures, really given us in terms of our responsibilities. Even from the beginning, God has made distinctions. Remember in Genesis 3.16, where it says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. It's talking, of course, about when sin entered into the world. And this was, was, this was the curse, of course, upon the woman, that in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Remember, bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. That's the desire that a, a, a godly Christian wife ought to have to her husband first in everything. Um, not to an employer, not to this or that, but to her husband. This is God's order. And likewise, men have been given a, the responsibility through hard work and sweat, as it were, to, uh, 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 to provide, really, for their wives and for their families. This is their God-given role. The problem is, really, with feminism, I would say, especially in the United Kingdom, we are, I, I believe, the United Kingdom are one of the leading countries in terms of feminism. When I came over to, from South Africa, to the United Kingdom. I'm, I'm diverting a little bit here, but I think it's needful. Um, and of course, there are many wonderful things in the United Kingdom, but one thing that took me by surprise is how feministic this culture, how emasculated men are, and how, how women are acting like men in, in, our, in, in our culture. And it really came, and I wasn't even a believer then, but it came to her as a real shock to me. The problem of feminism has taken such a grip and a hold 
upon our culture that as ideology has completely saturated most churches today. Completely. For decades now, the distinctions and the compromise between biblical manhood and womanhood has been completely normalized in many churches of Jesus Christ nowadays. And you could hardly tell the difference, really, between the church of Jesus Christ and the world in terms of the roles and distinctions thereof. And so let me just say at this point that it's not my intentions to offend. It really isn't. I, I, I hate offending people. I, I, I really, I'm not a, 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 by nature, I'm not a confrontational person. I'd rather not to con confront people. Um, but the, the Word of God, you see, confronts us. It confronts me in this respect. And, and let me also just say this. This, this, is not, this problem does not start with women. The problem starts with men. The problem isn't, isn't because of women, it's because men, and in particular, Christian men, are not being Christian men. You know, I have, like you, you all know, I have eight women in my direct family, uh, seven daughters and my wife. I, I love uh, the women in my life, and I care dearly for the women in my life. This problem of being effeminate and being feminized lies chiefly amongst men for not leading, as it were, in this respect. We Christian men must return to biblical manhood like our forefathers held to. We have been, in the UK in particular, we have been completely and we are being daily emasculated. And I'm not, I'm not talking about muscles here, about, about that. I'm talking about being serious and being responsible and protecting our wives and our children's emotions that they need to conform to a certain Hollywood ideal, a career-minded ideal, a way of looking, a way of appearing. And all what feminists tell to be financially independent, to detach yourself from a man, from a family. That is so anti-Christian and anti-biblical, friends. And I know that most of what I'm saying will be complete, pe people will, my, this, these words that I'm saying will not be received by most, even by most Christians, sadly, because we are so far down the road. We have been so entrenched, even Christians, that we cannot even tell the line which we've passed a hundred years ago. That that's how far down the road we are, dear friends. And so like I said, the problem lies with us men. We Christian men must return to biblical manhood that we see the Puritans and the Reformers upheld. We must regain our spiritual backbone again in this regard and lead and protect our families and our wives and our churches. Really, from the beginning, the feminist movement has sought for women to live independently from men. And that, dear friends, is an anti-Christian and an anti-biblical movement. And so for tonight's sermon, I would really just like to focus on the, the feminist movement 
and its destructive history, which came in the form of three waves. You could talk about so many different things in terms of feminism, but I just want to keep it simple. Three waves in which feminism, we see feminism has taken place. I'm only going to have time, really, uh, for the first wave this evening, but next time, in the next overview session, I'll be looking at the second wave and the third wave, and then we'll start to go into the particulars, really, but tonight we'll be looking at just the first wave. And so, uh, the first wave, really, was from around the 1830s to the 1920s. The second wave took place from around the 1920s to the 1960s, which was around the same time of the sexual revolution, the ungodly revolution. And then the third wave was from the 1960s to our present day. These really have been three tidal waves, ungodly tidal waves that have hit our marriages and our families and our culture and our churches, and for the worse, as it were. Now, we don't have time to look at these three ways in, in, in much detail. I will, however, just give a brief overview of each wave, just looking at the first wave this evening. The first wave of feminism sought to make the economic, political, and social status of women equal to that of men. Let me just say that again. The first wave of feminism sought to make the economic, political, and social status of women equal to that of men. Its leading proponents were women such as Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth C. Stanton, whose chief goal really was to gain political uh, rights for women to vote everywhere. That was their initial, their initial aim. Now, to be fair to these two uh, women, uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth C. Stanton, they actually were involved with very other noble causes, like the abolition uh, of the slave trade, and amongst other, the temperance movement and other things. But I, I must argue that some of these other causes, I'm not going to go into particulars about them, but the things which they did within these other causes, I would not classify as Christian nor biblical. And so, but that's a whole different subject altogether. Now, outwardly, it would, it would be easy for us to think in a good thing, wouldn't we? The flesh, the natural man, and would, e would it be easy for us to think that giving women the vote, to, the, the women the right to vote everywhere, would be a good thing, right? I mean, why withhold? Uh, women from voting. But brethren, let us not be deceived. Uh, this was thoroughly anti-Christian and anti-biblical. Why? Why might, why might you ask, was this so anti-biblical? Well, because it's God's design, isn't it? Like we've read, it's God's design for men to lead in the realms of the home and the family and in the church, and in the world of business and politics. That's God's design, as it were. It's an order there, and a discipline there. And furthermore, to think men of the 19th and 20th century did not care about women by not letting them vote, in the words of one commentator, is chronological snobbery. 
And when men voted back then, they had in mind their wives and their mothers and their daughters and their sisters. They had in mind their welfare and their spiritual welfare in their decision making. They did not detach themselves from their families and say, I am making these decisions apart from you. They had full well, they discussed these things at the dinner table back then. They had full well their wives and their mothers and their children and their sisters' spiritual welfare. And yes, back then, of course, there were a few bad apples, as there are bad apples in our day. And of course, the feminists will always pick up and say, well, look at the, the, those particular peoples, but there's always been bad apples. In fact, I'll say now, there's a lot more abuse of women going on right now. Think of how mothers are thrown into old age homes at, a hat, at, at the drop of a hat nowadays. Not to mention a whole lot of other abuse in the workplace and many other things. It, it, it's far worse than what it was. Men back then, I would advocate, advocate cared far more for the, for the women in their lives than the modern effeminate man does. Like I said, at the drop of a hat, will give no thought to putting their father or mother in an old age home. And this would never be a dreamt of, of course, in the past. Not to mention, of course, how men, especially effeminate men, treat women nowadays. And that's why we see the push for easy divorceism, don't we? And uh, we see this, this uh, tidal wave, as, as it were, that's come really from feminism. Far be it that such men were not as enlightened as our modern day virtue signaling hypocrites are, far be it, friends. This cannot be further from the truth. Men's privileges came with great responsibilities back then, and great stress and pressure was put upon them. And all we've got to do is think upon what's happening in Ukraine right now, aren't we? The women and children are fleeing from an aggressive persecutor. And the men, mostly, predominantly, are staying by, and they are the ones having to defend and protect their women and children, their homes and their livelihoods. It's the men that are having to do that. And the women know that the men can do that, despite the propaganda that we see by the West, as it were, to, you know, the feministic propaganda we're, we're seeing by the West, to try to insert feminism with them. Really, we know, we know deep down that there's, this, there's intrinsically something within a man that wants to protect a woman. A God, especially a, a godly man. There's something within that, that man wants to lead. There's something within every man here that wants to lead, isn't there? And wants to protect and, and be responsible. That is given with, within every godly man, I believe. And, and so men's privileges back then came with great responsibilities, didn't they? Today's men are less privileged and they are also less responsible. Let me say that again. Today's men have become more effeminate and they are less privileged and they are less responsible as well. And this has been to the spiritual and social 
downgrade of both men and women everywhere. First wave feminism really went on to adopt an egalitarian view. And that word egalitarian basically means, I'm sure you're aware of it, it means that they, they thought that men and, we, and men and women should be equal in everything. That we should be equal, that our, our roles are interchangeable. That what a man can do, I can do. And uh, why should I be withholding from that? And so first wave feminism really developed this egalitarian view on women and men which came from the most radical wing of the Enlightenment period, which we know from history was from the Jacobean uh, period, don't we? The Jacobeans, which really despised authority, really, and that led, of course, this, this especially biblical authority. They really despised biblical authority. And we know that that led to the French Revolution and the reign of terror, millions of people losing their lives. And you know, before the French Revolution, there was a great exodus of godly men and wives and children who left France, didn't, didn't they? They left for the States, they left for other countries, they, there was an exodus. And what did that leave behind? It left behind a vacuum of responsible men, leaders within France, People who were serious and responsible to lead, to, to show leadership and responsibility. And that's why the French Revolution happened. There was a great vacuum there. And friends, the feminist movement, the first feminist movement, uh, basically this egalitarian view they had came from the most radical wing of the Enlightenment period, which really... If you know anything about the Enlightenment period, there's nothing light about it. It's the Enlightenment period, actually. It, it's, it is completely anti-Christian. Anti and so first wave feminists went on to push for equal wages and property rights and marriage rights, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And they really sought for that all-out abolition or abolishment of the biblical understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood through the period known as the, the Progressive Era, 1890 to 1820, the Progressive Era. First wave feminism later explicitly called for women to leave the home in favour of a career. To, that is the primary thing, get a career. You can be financially independent. You don't have to depend upon a man. Your desire doesn't have to be to the home sphere, the domestic sphere, to a man. It, it can be. You need to make sure that you're financially independent. That you that you you don't have to depend upon a man. And that is the prevailing spirit that we're seeing in our culture nowadays. In many churches today, we're teaching our young women. You need to go to university for many years, and you need to learn, get all these qualifications, get yourself into, of course, a whole lot of debt, then you'll be paying that off for many, many years, won't you? And that many people are doing today. And, of course, we're, and, and of course they, they're doing this, and they're not getting married, so they face all sorts of temptations, because 
it's not good for a man to be alone, is it? But that we be young people, especially, especially Christian young people, it's good for them to be in, in, in a godly relationship, in a, in a marriage. And we, we're not teaching the young people to, to have an, an eye out for godly young women. Uh, young women who, who, who aspire for the old paths, as it were. We're not teaching them. The, the system is broken. The, 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 bro- the, the, the foundations are broken, as it were. And I know these things are very difficult in our, in our society today, but we're not teaching these things anymore because we've become feministic in our, in our thinking, friends. And so first wave feminism really later on in this progressive era explicitly called for, for women to leave the home. You don't have to be financially dependent. You can be, you can be dependent upon yourself. You, can, you don't have to be in the context of a family. You see, it was detaching, detaching oneself from the family into individualism. It's like the, the, the Trinity detaching itself, saying, I don't need the Father. And, and it, it really sh- it starts to show on what we Christians really believe in. And so, you know, universal suffragettes really aim was women's individualism. That was their aim, individualism, which detaches itself from the family unit. So that the unity of a family is broken up. The, 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 often the aspirations would be completely different in a family. Or well, one's wanting to please the, the, the boss, and you know, it's completely detached. And this is what was called for. And of course, the, the homekeeper was, of course, looked upon with disdain, really, increasingly. And the theologian B.B. Warfield pointed out that feminism viewed viewed the individual rather than the family as the basic unit of society. B.B. Warfield, the theologian. Warfield also went on to say, I mean, there were people a hundred years ago, really, godly men, warning us of the, these things, warning us of the problem of, 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 of public education, warning us of the effects of feminism. There, there, were, there, there, were, there were men preaching these things. Back then, they could see what was coming. Warfield went on to say, to the Apostle Paul, the human race is made up of families. To the feminist movement, the human race is made up of individuals. That's the difference, you see. And he went on to say, family was the first government which men were the heads of their households. Egalitarians, progressives, feminists, call them what you will, despise, really, God's authority in this respect. And are at war against biblical Christianity. And some people may call it classical Christianity. But it's biblical Christianity. The culture may have changed, but God's word is still living. And yet it's very hard. It's very hard to be countercultural in this respect. But we must do so by faith. And so they despised God's authority, which really affirms a godly hierarchy, doesn't it? 
And even to say that word hierarchy will really put the back up of many people, even Christians, many professing Christians. Now let me just give us, pause for a moment, just give us an example of how bad we've gotten here in the West. Now recently you will know that in Afghanistan, that that long war that's taken place, uh, the Americans went in and the British went in and, and all sorts of, you know, no, it, was a, it was a long protracted war. And at the end, what happened? Well, we, we tried to impose our Western values upon Afghanistan, our woke values, might I add, feministic, socialistic, liberal values upon them, especially in Kabul. And really, the people of Afghanistan really saw what's happening. They saw that, the, the, that Westminster and Washington were trying to impose transgenderism, feminism, all these extremely woke things. And this is to a traditional people. And we, we don't agree, of course, with, with their ungodly religions, but <laughs> you, must, you must say that at the end of that war, what happened was you had the Taliban literally, literally without a fight. Men did not put up one fight. The, the Taliban, uh, the, the, the army which the West basically taught, basically, outnumbered the Taliban to, I think it was six or even eight to one. Hundreds of thousands of troops and, and at least uh, eight to one. The, the Afghan army, and they literally just allowed the Taliban to come in, take over, within a matter of, of days, didn't they? Literally, didn't put up a fight at all. Why? Why would they do this? Well, well they knew, didn't they? They knew deep down that what, what they had under the Taliban, and this is a sad reality, is better than what, what we are pushing out at the moment in our culture. We have gone that far away really, from the truth. And, and yes, there is a remnant in our society. We've got a certain amount of liberty. But let's not kid ourselves, dear friends. We have got so bad in terms of feminism and transgenderism that this is sickening to these people. Sickening. And, and that's, why, that's why they just put down their arms, as it were. And it's different from what we see in Ukraine, isn't it? Completely different. And friends... And I, like I said, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not for what the Taliban stood for, not at all. Um, but the Bible is very clear on a godly, loving hierarchy. Men have a duty, don't they, of loving authority in the marriage covenant to, to look out for their wives and, and, and for their emotions, as it were. Parents have a loving authority over their children. Elders over their churches, civil officials over their citizens. And despite what the feminists may say, they also are going to be under authority, one way or the other. It's just, they don't want to be under a husband's authority. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? They don't want the biblical role. Christian equality, of course, requires that we treat everyone with love and dignity and respect, doesn't it? That's what we, God has loved us and we love people. We, we want to show the love of Christ and we show people 
with this, this love and this dignity. Christian love, however, does not undermine God's word in this respect, God's authoritative distinctions in terms of, of our families and our churches and our roles. It doesn't do that. And so when someone says to me, well, you're not being loving, Lee. You're, you're not, and I have had many people that have said that to me. I've had many people, in fact, me and my wife are often maligned for having the views that, that we have in terms of, of, of biblical manhood. We are often gossiped about in this, in this respect and maligned. And, and, and really, it's, it's not that I'm not being loving. I just want to do what God has commanded us to do and to follow his, his principles which are conducive to our blessing. And like I said, I know it's difficult in our day and age. I know there's many things, financial difficulties, but where God provides need and where, where, where we take a step by faith in anything, there is blessing there. And I believe it. I wholeheartedly believe it. And so Christian love does not undermine God's authoritative structure. It rather affirms them. Those who undermine God's authoritative structure in this respect really show a lack and display a lack of faith in the word of God in this respect. Now, early, the early feminists were deeply influenced by the Enlightenment thinkers, such as Jean-Jacques Rousseau and a man called Voltaire. And I'm sure some of us might be aware of, especially people like Voltaire, who, whose anti-Christian ideas promoted relativism, didn't they? And of course, the first wave feminists were very much influenced by them. These early feminists also had close ties with radical Quakers and uh, Unitarians, heretics, really, who were amongst the first groups, these were amongst the first groups to push for a Prussian-styled, state-funded public school system in the USA. And um, we know, don't we, in Psalm 1, as we read earlier, in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Well, if this is true for the godly man, and it is, why on earth would we allow our children? Why would we put in place a system which is unbiblical? Why would we put in place a system which is going to allow our children to have their, their minds worked upon for seven, eight hours of the day as a work by people who are not invested in their souls at all. Frankly, who are people who are absolutely antagonistic towards the gospel and who show it, and especially in our day, dear friends. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Well, we wouldn't do those things, or we would endeavor not to do them. Why would we? Why would we do this to our children? Why would we allow them to be and, and be taught and to ship them back into spiritual Egypt, as it were, and to, and to, and to have them, the, the, the majority of the day, being given this counsel and shown this counsel and for the peer pressure to be put upon them by their, their peers? This is so anti-Christian and anti-biblical, isn't it? 
It is no wonder that the Unitarians who rejected the diversity of the Trinity also embraced feministic and egalitarian views in terms of relationships. Quakers within first wave feminism were amongst one of the first groups to allow women to serve as ministers as well. Both Unitarians and Quakers helped lead the charge for women's rights in the USA. Of course, which we know what happens in the States, happens everywhere, it spreads very quickly. The first feminist movement was not simply concerned with a woman's right to vote. It wanted to overthrow male headship and leadership in every sphere of life, including the church. That's what was its aim. This is a, a complete rejection of biblical Christianity. Stanton, one of the founding members, remember, even went on so far as to publish the Women's Bible, a commentary uh, that dismissed biblical roles. And you do get such a thing as, as feministic theology, believe it or not. It's a terrible thing. And she identifies biblical teachings on women's submission as evil. Uh, and bear in mind, this is one of the founders of the feminist movement. Much more, of course, can be said about this first wave of feminism, but time does really not allow me to speak much about it. So, so just let me conclude by saying a few more words. Uh, that's a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. Dear friends, and this is what we're seeing really with the feminist movement. It, it, it started off with a woman's vote, didn't it? And now look what's happened, dear friends. First wave feminism threw off the high place of honour and protection that a Christian society had given to women and swapped it really for the right to be more like a man and wanting to do everything that a man does. That's, that was it, wasn't it? And dear brethren, isn't this the prevailing spirit of our age? We see this in our culture, women in the military. It's, it's cruel, isn't it? It is cruel to do this. You know, God warns us in his holy words that, that when children and women are in judgment, in, in leadership, in, in a nation, it's God's judgment upon a nation. It says in Isaiah 3, verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Children. It says, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. This is God's word here. Sobering words from Isaiah 3.12. We look, we see it, uh, people like Greta Lundberg or something like that, lecturing world leaders. I think she, she started doing that when she was 14, 15 years old. Started leading, and the leaders of the world bowed down to her, as it were. This is God's judgment upon us, isn't it? The famous French minister, amongst other things, Alexis de... I can't pronounce this right, so please forgive me. Alexis de Tranquilla, upon a trip to America, prior really to, to first wave feminism taking root in America, taking hold in America, had done so in Europe, but 
not quite yet in America, he said, although women of the United States are confined within the narrow circle of domestic life, and their situation is in some respects one of extreme dependence, of course, as the, the scriptures teach. I have nowhere seen women occupying, he goes on to say, I have nowhere seen women occupying a loftier position. He added, if I were asked to what singular prosperity, that is of course America, and the prosperity of America, I, I, if I were asked to what singular prosperity and, and growing strength that people all may be attributed, I should reply to the superiority of their women. Now, I don't want any women to be puffed up. The point I'm trying to make here is that he was saying that they, they're doing it the right way. They're doing it the biblical way. They're not compromising, as it were. They're, they're, they're holding strong to what the scriptures teach, the principles and the things conducive, as it were, to the scriptures. The, fe the, the feminist movement claims that women are better off now, being less dependent upon a man being financially dependent, being uh, self-dependent, completely living for self, really wanting to be like a man. And that is completely unchristian. And they claim to be better off by it. And this, friends, is a blatant lie, isn't it? It's just a blatant lie. Women under feminism are suffering more than they ever have. And we see that in our culture today, don't we? We really do, with how legislation is passed and everything. We're seeing it. And so, next time we'll be looking at second and third wave feminism. This concludes our study for this evening, our first overview. Next time will be our second overview on feminism, looking at second and third wave feminism. And then we'll systematically be looking at the areas where feminism has really distorted and corrupted God's design for biblical manhood and womanhood, and of course for our families and our churches, and for God living. Amen.